And now, from the SPM Studios in Charlottesville, Virginia, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Happy New Year and welcome to 2021. Well, the year 2020 is finally in the books, and just maybe we can all have a sigh of relief. Anyway, I'm happy to announce that we have declared that 2021 will be the year of women street photographers. What we're going to do is each month during the year, we're choosing a woman to be one of these cut. So each year during cut. So each month during the year, we are choosing a woman to be the featured photographer of the month. And the first issue of the year which will be published on January 15th, will feature street photography created by all women. Over the years, we have seen many excellent women street photographers. In our Facebook group, I noticed probably about 75% of the members are men. So we're making it a priority for 2021. I'm looking forward to it. Our guest this week is Keith Dannemiller. He's an American photojournalist who has been living and working in Mexico City for the past 30-plus years. Keith is no stranger to Street Photography Magazine. He was the feature photographer in September 2016, and since then he's tr- contributed to the magazine and the podcast over the years. So it was good to catch up with Keith to see what he's been up to during the pandemic. And he's been keeping really busy. Now, Keith is currently an independent photojournalist, but over the past 31 years, he's been associated with two U.S. photo agencies, Black Star and Saba. In Latin America, he has covered a wide variety of situations, from the Nicaraguan Recontras to street children in Mexico City to life on the U.S.-Mexico border and the evolution of a refugee camp in the Mexican state of Chiapas into a thriving community today. He takes the long view. As a photojournalist, he covered the first intifada in the occupied territories of Palestine in the late 1980s. In our interview, Keith told me the story behind this assignment and how he came to cover an event that was on the other side of the world from Latin America, and then how it became a book project 30 years later. Now, my personal favorite project of Keith's is about La Bestia, which means the beast. It's a nickname for a freight train that travels from the southern Mexican border through the length of the country to the U.S. border over 1,600 miles away. Hundreds of migrants, men, women, and children, escaping economic hardship and gang violence in Central America, risk their lives riding atop the freight cars. He uses his camera and his heart to tell a powerful story of desperation and hope for a better life. I included a link to the story in the show notes on our website, so please take some time to see it for yourself. Keith and his wife live in the Colonia Napoles of Mexico City, and he often conducts street photo tours of this unique city. So you'll learn about all this and even more when you listen to my conversation with Keith Dannemiller. Today, I have the pleasure of being with Keith Dana Miller. Keith, he's been with us a couple of times. He, we featured him several years ago in the early days of the magazine. He was on a podcast. 
uh, a while back. But uh, Keith is hey, he's originally from Akron, Ohio, not too far from where, where I'm from. But he's a little farther away now. He's in Mexico City. He's been there for several years, practically a native, I bet. Looks like 33 years. <laughs> we're on Zoom. We're doing it. We're doing it by video. So, um, but uh, Keith's a um, he's a photojournalist and an author and a professional photographer. So, Keith, welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this today. Thank you, Bob. Nice yeah, Feliz Navidad. <laughs> How's my gringo <laughs> accent? That works. That works. <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is listen to jose feliciano a couple of times and you'll get it down <laughs> yeah that's about it that's about it so anyway yeah so how are you all right all right you know like uh i, I said uh as well as can be expected i've been safe and sound for going on 10 months now so i'm grateful for that and uh Hope that I've got something down that'll keep me safe and sound for the next year or so. And uh, we'll, you know, that's, I think everybody's in much the same boat. So pretty much. Yeah. So you're locked down, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we are here. We uh, are now in, you know, what I guess you could consider partial lockdown. There's obviously some places, you know, essential places that are open, but as far as like restaurants, uh, bars are totally closed. Gymnasiums are closed. Museums are closed. I went yesterday to a bookstore to try and buy a book and couldn't get in, but I knew what I wanted. And so at the doorway, just relayed the title of the book and the author, and they went and got it. I paid, and that was that. So, you know, it's a whole different mechanism uh, for, for, you know, getting through the day uh, from one thing to another. Anyways. Uh, you know, such. being up here in the U.S. of A., we are probably the most self-involved country on the planet. And right now, nobody's talking about what's going on everywhere else in the world. It's everything that's happening yeah. here. So it's it's yeah. interesting to see what's going on in your area. Yeah. So it sounds like it's about the same as us. Things are picking up. <laughs> Spread's gotten worse. Yes, all yeah. that. Even in a warm place like Mexico, same thing, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still the same thing. I mean, you know, it, you're dealing with people, and people have the same attitudes, you know, here and there. Uh, you know, everybody tries to do their best, but then there's, you know, the group that decides that, no, you know, uh, I'm not going to follow the rules, and I'm going to, you know, live my life and have my freedom. And that, I think, you know, every country in the world has the same dynamic going on at this point, you know, and knowing people that have had it and uh, people that have died and, and still attitudes don't seem to, to change much. So, yeah, it's crazy. Just crazy. Yep. So how has all this affected your work? Um, Professionally and personally. Wow. <laughs> the simple question at first. <laughs> um, I, I was, I was going to relate a little bit about, uh, about two months ago, I was in a, in a virtual, uh, sort of like round table and I was asked once again to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, more, more 
sort of what I've done on on the streets in Mexico City and my street photography and that. And I, I told the guy who was in charge, I said, look, you know, there's there's a, a whole different uh, thing uh, operative at this point. And I'd like to talk about, you know, what I've done during the last, you know, at that point it was six or seven months. And he, he was sort of hesitant, but I just sort of dove into it. And one of the things that I said to him is, look, I've had all this time where I've not been able to go out on the street in the center, the historic center of Mexico City, the downtown area where I normally photograph. I've just not been able to do that, you know, and for for various reasons, obviously health being number one. And since I've not been able to do that, one of the things that that engendered with me or in me was to sort of draw back a little bit and say, take a look at what what I do, in fact, photograph and why. The, the bigger question was why. Why is it that, you know, when I'm walking along the street, you know, th- this is sort of the the micro level of it. When I'm walking along the street and I see something, what is it that stops me and says, you need to you need to make a photograph right here, right now. You know, or what is it that stops me and says, wait 20 seconds or wait five minutes, there'll be a photograph here. What is the thing? And then, you know, that's sort of the micro level. And then on the macro level, a bigger level, you know, what is it in in me that makes me want to make photographs like I do? And so I, you know, sort of, talked to him and said here's here's some reasons for you know what i do and i gave you know probably 10 or 12 different you know sort of ideas about what i had contemplated as to why i photograph and why i photograph what i photograph things like you know obviously you know knowledge about mexico knowledge about people watching people how they interact on the street getting some kind of knowledge about you know, the place that I live, Mexico, where I'm at. Uh, also self-knowledge. I think a lot of photography, you know, uh, what whatever genre you want to talk about, is uh, uh, what sort of self-revelatory. I think, you know, there's self-knowledge involved in making a photograph. And I think a lot of photographs are somewhat autobiographical. Why do I take a picture of that tree? Why do I take a picture of this, you know, person walking towards me on the street? Why do I take a picture of this group of people interacting in a certain way? What are the things that, that you know, that bump me and make me do that? So, like I said, I, I talked about a lot of different ideas there, you know, sort of my con- con- contemplative time, you know, came up with, like I said, about a dozen different uh uh, themes or ideas for for photographing um, that sort of led me to uh, also look at uh, well what what do I have that I have maybe not worked with and can think about doing something with during this time so one of the things that that I uh, 
one of the conclusions that I came to, or one of the things that I began doing, is I have have a lot of photographs. I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> the listening listening audience won't be able to see, but I've done I've done quite a quite a lot of stuff with the iPhone yeah. when I walk around in Mexico City. You know, uh, and one of the things that I concentrated on was uh, walls that have posters and posters in various stages of decay. I've used the word molting, like, you know, <laughs> a, a snake getting rid of its skin, a bird getting rid of its feathers. It's sort of, you know, the idea that works for me to look at these things. I'll, I'll like I say, I'll show you some right now. Um, and uh, are they upside down? They're correct. They're correct. Um, <laughs> but things things that I see on the street and have used with the iPhone and one of the other, you know, uh, it, I I still consider I still consider this documentary photography. This Why is, not? You know what I see on the street, and I still consider it street photography. Like, it's a different media. You know, obviously using the iPhone. One of the things that I discovered too is I always had this idea that. You know, my iPhone at 72 DPI uh, and maybe a, a file size. I don't know what the file size, 3,000 pixels by. Yeah. When I shoot it square, I shoot it square by 3,000. I thought, you know, I wasn't going to be able to make a very, you know, uh, nice looking larger print because I wanted to do something large with it. I printed some stuff up to like 20 by 20. Inches. Really? And it, and it looked fine. It looked it looked fine. I have this th that I just showed you. I have to. It's coming back from the lab today. I printed it on like a canvas, a Han Hanenmule mm -hmm. canvas kind of paper. It's not really paper. It's actually canvas. Yeah. And it's it's uh, five feet wide, and about. Uh, mm -hmm what is it about 18 inches high and they're square. The three of them are square, a, a triptych. And, and the quality, the quality is, is, you know, I'm not going to say amazing, but I don't see, you know, major pixelation. I don't see, you know, increase anyways, long story short. So what I've done is gone into a lot of those photographs that I will take, that I had taken, uh, you know, on the walls in a square format to remind myself of my Hasselblad uh that i used to have in a in a square in a square format um uh i i went back and i started looking at things and i also started to look at things in terms of of a triptych you know what works in the middle what works on as the lead you know image what works as the third image and also try because of this contemplative you know mode that i was in also try and use these three you know, images in a, in a triptych to be somewhat, you know, make it somewhat personally narrative to say, you know, these three photos are talking about, you know, whatever X subject and the three photos work to, you know, engender that theme or enhance that theme. So that's, you know, it's not in a nutshell. I've, I've gone on, but, you know, uh, <laughs> It's 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 a you know sort of summary of one of the things that that I have been doing this time. 
during this time. And I, I, I want to continue with that. I have gone out, you know, on some of my walks and, and, and have, have any, uh, you know, augmented, I've, I've shot some other stuff so that I have, you know, now more imagery to play with. And it basically is playing with it. It's making, you know, a paper print and, you know, maybe four or five inches by four or five inches and putting it down on the table and putting it there with 20 or 25 others and moving them around and see what works and see if there's anything that grabs me. So it's a, it's a whole different, different ball game, but um, it's, it's something that I felt like I needed to do. And and it's, and it's been, um, you know, it's been valuable to me to be able to do that. And, and I'm, I'm glad I sort of got into it. Um, You, you, um, you mentioned a little while ago about you thought about what actually captures your attention. And that's something a lot of people don't really think consciously about. Um, but since you've been thinking about it, what what does capture your attention? Well, you know, I, I too, I don't, you know, I think there's a balance there. It's, you know, you can over-intellectualize a... You know, mm-hmm. possible photo and you can be there and you can uh, try and get, you know, over intellectualize the process. Yeah. Where is where is the light? Where who do I need on the left side of the frame? What's going on on the right to balance? You know, I try not to do that. But at the same time, obviously, in hindsight, <laughs> in hindsight, when you look at you know your your work obviously there are some operative themes that come up and and the way that what are what are the things that are grabbing you know you or me or whatever person when you are out there on the street um there's there's a you know i've been influenced i think by cartes i've been influenced by who Gary Winogrand, I've been influenced by, you know, uh, I could go on. I'm not going to mm-hmm. you know, start naming a lot of names. But I think one of the things that grabs me a lot when I'm out there on the street is the idea of, first of all, a small, short narrative. I think there is, you know, a, a little story to be told in a lot of my photographs. I also think, you know, the use of juxtaposition. I think the use of, you know, maybe sarcasm, a little bit of irony, a little bit of uh, this is Mexico. So a tad of surrealism, mm-hmm. you know, is is always present. You know, it's sort of like surrealism, you know, is walking down the street and comes in contact with, you know, daily life and the two of them meet and it makes for a great photograph. You know that that those kind of things are are the are the you know sort of uh, you know notions that that I uh, that I know I I look for, and then you know obviously that begs the question: Well, why is it that you're looking for <laughs> juxtaposition, and why is it that you're looking for that kind of contrast, and what is it about juxtaposition, and what is it about um, irony that you know that hits me? and makes me want to stop and make a photograph there. That's, that's a little bit heavier and deeper question. And we can, 
we can maybe go into that the next time. Yeah. Um, for the moment. You've been locked up you know. too long. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I that's, know. <laughs> that's funny you mentioned the iPhone. Um, I shoot with mine a lot, just, you uh -huh. know, because I have it with me like everybody else. But, and I, and like you, I was going through a lot of my photos of trying to organize my, my light room because stuff's scattered everywhere. And I'm pulling photos out that I'm going to be printing and putting on the walls in our house. And, and uh -huh. I, when I went back and looked at those, I realized a lot of them were made with the iPhone. And not even realizing at the time when I was making the choices, uh -huh. and I thought, oh, you know, why is that? And I think because, at least for me, the thing is so informal, you know, carrying yeah. the camera and having to lift the camera yeah. up and frame yeah. it and everything yeah. is more, makes you more conscious of it, I guess, makes the people around you more conscious of it. And it seems like, to me, when something strikes me, I pick up the phone and make a photo it's more genuine in some ways. That's uh -huh. just how I've been feeling about it. Is it? Yeah. Well, it was much, much the same. And, and like I say, I think the discovery, you know, on my part that, uh, that there is a quality that I wasn't really aware of, that it does work if I want to make something, you know, it doesn't have to be poster size, but if I do want to make something, you know, 18 inches by 18 inches, it'll, you know, it'll bear up, it'll hold up uh, to make something that size. So that was a, that was a nice discovery. You know, I had never really printed anything, you know, from from the iPhone before. Um, so so that 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 was nice. And, and that sort of kicked me into, you know, well. The, you know the the diptych i'm sorry the triptych thing and you know the narrative that can come from that and looking at what i had shot with it and you know so anyways that's that's one part of uh my time during the pandemic well you actually brought up another question that i have and i'm curious about because i'm struggling with this Myself. Okay, so you shoot with the iPhone. It probably goes into your photos, your Apple photos. Uh-huh. How do you manage those versus what you've got? I don't know if we're using Lightroom or you're probably using Lightroom or... or um, I, so. I actually uh, transfer them to... Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Photo mechanic or... No, no, no. I don't really do. I don't really do much with them. I mean, it, just as far as storage, they all go on the cloud. Okay. You know? um, the, I, I basically, you know, to, to obviously to save space on the phone and not necessarily have them on the desktop. I'll almost all of that goes on. Okay. You know, the cloud on and and I and I keep things there and can pull them down when I need to, you know, edit or I want to, you know, fool with him a little bit. Uh, that's, that's where they, they stay for me. And, 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 and basically I'm not as organized with those as I am with my other work, you know, digital work or black and white 35 millimeter uh, is, is much more organized than that. Basically those photos get the, the, the square iPhone stuff gets put into folders. Mm -hmm. And 
and and and you know titled folders and and that's where i can go back and look at them and, and pull things out so one of the reasons i want to talk to you is we were trading some emails last week and you said you're working on two books which one book has got to be enough so why don't you tell us about these two books okay. and what they're all about uh, one is a book of photos and remembrances from the first Palestinian Intifada, which started in 80, the December of 87, and I was there in January, February of 88, and then I went back in January, February of 89. Um it's it's some somewhat of a of a long story, but I'll try and try and uh, <laughs> relate what what went on. I, I photographed both those two trips. Uh, the first time was you know I was I was a total babe in the woods. Uh, I knew something of what was going on about the Intifada from you know news accounts and uh, TV. And I was affiliated at that point. I had moved to Mexico about six months before, and I was affiliated with an agency called Imagen Latina. And I was, it, was, it was a very sort of symbiotic relationship in the sense that I photographed with them, and, and the, the, the images that I made were available to them to use to supply to newspapers and magazines in exchange for sort of getting the lay of the land in Mexico City. I mean, I once again, I, I had never lived here before. And these guys, you know, were all Mexico City natives. So they showed me the ropes. Anyways, at some point, uh, probably end of December, 1st of January, I got a call one Sunday morning from the head of the agency saying, uh, we need someone to go to Israel, Palestine, to cover the Intifada because we need to, you know, uh, uh, I can only think of the word in Spanish. Uh, oh, we need, we need, you know, someone so that we can uh, distribute uh, photos here in Latin America and be one of the places that has photos of the Intifada, original stuff. And I said, what me and he said yeah you know do you want to go and i said sure obviously and he said you know basically the deal is we need somebody that speaks english and nobody in the agency speaks english <laughs> so you know do you want to go and i said yes yes so you know long story short there arrangements were made uh plane ticket you know i'm i'm on my way within probably about a week and a half of that phone call and I get there and it's like, you know, being dropped down on in on Mars. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I really, you know, I obviously spoke no Arabic at that point, uh, no Hebrew. Uh, you know, obviously got around all right with English, uh, but began, you know, hit the ground running and began to do things like about the second or third day I was there after sort of getting my bearings photographed. Uh, you know, put put both years together, photographed, and, and, and in the interim between 88 and 89, came back to Mexico, published photos here. A lot of stuff got sent out, had an exhibit or two, uh, the same thing after 89. 
and you know didn't really contemplate at that point anything about a book or uh you know a larger exhibit um but but stayed active in you know knowledge of what was going on in palestine and the struggle there uh, with the and and you know did a little bit here a little bit there with the photos fast forward 25 years and i got a email an email from a guy in paris and in sort of broken english it was all right i could understand it but obviously you know not not the king's english uh he asked me uh told me that he had bought a book called there in Paris, something, you know, like uh, the Intifada, Towards War or Towards Peace. <laughs> and that on the cover of the book was a photograph. And on the back cover was the credit saying Keith Miller. So he got with me, you know, did a search and got my email and sent me this and said, said I need a photo a better quality photo of the one that's on the cover because I'm a Palestinian student huh. and the, the photo inspires me, you know, inspired me and inspires me. So I wanted to put on my wall. And so me like, you know, a good, uh, photojournalist, capitalist, <laughs> capitalist photojournalist said, well, how much can you pay? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, it's your he, business. Said, he said, uh, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm a student in Paris. I don't have a lot of money, but I really want to photograph. And he ends the email, that email, by saying, but I know the boy in the photograph. Oh. And I said, what? I said, how is that possible? This photograph was made on February 1st, 1988. How old were you? He said, no, no, no. I, you know, I'm this age and I know the guy who is, you know, he's now a guy, he's a man, I know him, you know, and I said, okay, well, there's, there's the quid pro quo, you put me in touch with this guy by email, give me his email address, and I'll send you a file that you can print, you know, as large as you want. So it took a little while, I sent him the file, and he came back about a month later, saying, here's, here's the name of the guy, his name is uh, Ramsi Aburijwan, and 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 here's his email so get in touch so i did we started a conversation myself and ramsey he is now a classical cello hmm. violin uh he plays the oud he's into sufi music he has a music school in ramallah uh with a bunch of branches in different parts of of the territories the occupied territories um he's he studied in France. He's well-known worldwide. He's had a book done about him and the school and the kids at the school. Um, so we started this conversation and he said, you know, we really, you know, he said the same thing. The photo inspired us. You know, we used the photo to raise funds for the school. And I said, wow, that's amazing. I'm glad to hear that. You know, that's wonderful that, you know, the photo has been able to do something positive for somebody that needs it. He said, we need to we need to have an exhibit here. You know, these photos need to be seen, you know, uh, you know, today 
from what happened, you know, 25 years ago, 26 years ago. So we started that process of, oh, of trying to get get the, the work seen there in Palestine. And it got to the point of uh, the Goethe German cultural center that is in every country in the world, you know, was willing to, you know, give us space to put up probably about 30 or 40 photographs. And we got to the point of a, you know, a plan, the plan for the museum, how much space was on this wall, how much on that, what photos could we put up? Um, and at that point, uh, the Israeli incursion into Gaza, you know, I think now it's called, you know, the 55 day war or something like that. I forget anyways, you know, bombing and, uh, Every, just the whole shebang mm -hmm. and stuff in in the west bank too was going on and i i made the comment to the guy at the goethe institute that i don't think it's the right time to do this you know these are historical photos and they need to be seen but what's going on right now on the street and what people are living through sort of precludes i think people going out to a museum and looking at these photographs we had no idea at that point how long it was going to last. He said, yes, let's postpone. So it got postponed and it got postponed for almost like two years. But we came back. I came back to Ramsey and said, you know, we still need to do this. Where can we look now? And he came up with the there's a museum where Yasser Arafat is buried. Uh, hmm. And it's obviously called the Yasser Arafat Museum in Ramallah beautiful beautiful museum it's just you know a wonderful place and so the the images were shown there opening july 6 2017 they stayed up for like six months i met people you know that came to the to the opening there that were actually in the intifada that participated and saw photos and said oh yeah you know i know this place and stuff like that and i got to meet ramsey and we developed a relationship and, uh, you know, I, I went back in 2018, 2019. He puts on a, a music festival, an Arabic music festival every year. And so I went back and I was sort of like the documentary photographer for the festival for two years. <clears throat> Anyways, getting to the book. Um, I, I, I had the possibility through the through the museum where the where the photo exhibit was of doing a book and once again long story short that being you know like three years ago when that was suggested nothing has really come of it you know it's difficult now obviously at this point being a palestinian it's difficult being a palestinian museum director you know to come up with a with the funding and, and the work that needs to be done to put together a book. They have done a simple dummy, you know, to show me uh, what they want to do, but it hasn't progressed anything past that. But at the same time, I said to them, I said, look, you know, I may go independently outside the possibility of this book and do something on my own. So that's what I did. And I wrote like uh, sort of about 26 vignettes sort of you know page maybe page and a half remembrances of what went on and tried to associate them with a photo and put it together 
uh, in in a in a dummy book uh, to send around to people, to publishing houses, to agents. Most everybody, the response was no. Uh, do you realize how hard it is to sell a photo book these days? <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I said, well, you know, you know that better than I do, but okay, if that's the case. But one agency in London, Artelus, uh, and, and one woman at the agency was interested in it, very interested in it. And it was, you know, she she's looked at the dummy and she read it. And said, you know, almost within like about two or three days, she said, I'm going to send you a contract. Let's do it. And I said, whoa, you know, um, let me read the contract. Let me talk to some people, you know, other photographers. And she said, OK, you know, but I'm I'm on board. I really would like to do it. So uh, it's, it's progressed. That was probably two months ago. And she we're, we're in the process now of. What we're trying to put together is the dummy I expected might work as what we could take to the publishing houses and to editors at the publishing houses. And she doesn't seem to think that's the way to go, that there needs to be uh, a sort of reformatted uh, presentation to the, to, the, to the publishers and to the editors. So that's where we are now. And what I've done, I made a very simple... It'll probably get expanded, but once again, another dummy with photos. And basically, she's she's convinced that a narrative can be generated from captions. And, you know, I'm comparing captions, who, what, when, where, why kind of uh -huh. stuff, very photojournalistic with the 26 vignettes that I wrote that are much more evocative, you know, of what was going on and what I was going through and what the photos say. And but but so we're sort of going back and forth on that at this point. You know, um, I've, I've done a small dummy with just, you know, a very straightforward caption down below. And if <laughs> that's what she thinks will work, you know, with an editor or a publisher, then we'll go with that. Um, but we're interesting. It's it's, it's, it's in it's in flux right now. But I'm you know, I, I I'm I'm once again grateful that. She's come through and said, uh, you know, that she wants to do this. And, you know, she's put a lot of effort into it. And she really doesn't, she, she won't see anything, you know, as far as monies until the book sells. Um, and, you know, then they take their cut. The agent takes their cut at that point. But up until then, you know, I don't yeah. have to put anything up front. And, you know, I contemplated the possibility of doing, you know, self-published book. And mm -hmm. a lot of people told me, you know, you should just self-publish. And, you know, the, the expense involved in self-publishing, you know, getting a designer to work with, somebody that you feel, you know, uh, you can trust to do some good work. And then obviously the printing process and the books. I know there's a lot of people that do it. I, you know, I obviously do not have that kind of money laying around right now. To yeah. Get into it. so, and that's a big learning so curve to, too. It is. It is. And so to be with her, you know, in this process, I think has been real valuable for me. Um, and we'll see, you know, hopefully it'll, you know, generate some response at, at publishing houses and uh, with editors. But, uh, so if, um, all right. So you've, 
you're putting this together 30 some years after it happened. And had you had this opportunity 30 years ago to, to publish this book versus now, would you have made different selections or, or are you making different selections now than you would have back then? I, I honestly don't think so. Really? I okay. mean, I will probably come up with a selection of somewhere around 70 images mm -hmm. that uh, obviously have historical value and obviously are chosen on my part for their historical value. But I'm a photographer, you know, and I'm a visual person. And most of those 70 are also, you know, just good photos. <laughs> and I think, you know, I'm not trying to brag, but, yeah, you know, huh? I think they're, 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 they're visually, you know, good images that, that do have a narrative when they're put together with some other things, you know, beside them. And there's a flow that I can hopefully come up with, you know, for the book. But I think, you know, those, the combination of those two things, um, I, th I think back then, 33 years ago, I think that the selection would have been very similar if I were to have been told to, you know, come up with 70 photos. I think it would have been pretty, pretty similar, you know, but, but I think it's an advantage too. the time and the distance, you know, from being away from it mm -hmm. for all this time, those, those photos can sort of, you know, age, age and, and be <clears throat> uh, more evocative. And, and there, there are, you know, I keep going through, things and and i and i have added you know maybe in in that 70 maybe added you know four or five photos that that probably way more to their you know historicness or historicity uh than they do just being a good photograph those four those four or five that i've added you know maybe it's now it's because oh you know knowing what what things were like and and what i what i saw and maybe with a touch of well what's going on today you know uh once again with hindsight to say oh well look at this photo so but pretty close i think i think the selection would be very similar wow. so what about your other book the other book <laughs> is a uh it's also going back uh I, I photographed in in uh, the state of Chiapas mm -hmm. in Mexico, the southernmost state, uh, in in 1991 to 1993 in uh, Guatemalan refugee camps in in that part of of Chiapas, fairly close to the Guatemalan border. There was a mass exodus. I think there were probably uh, I've heard figures of like up to a hundred thousand, you know, people that, that, that fled Guatemala because of persecution, scorched earth policy, uh, you know, wiping out villages uh, of indigenous populations, basically because there, there was, you know, there was a, 
it was a government uh, versus guerrilla uh, conflict going on, and it, it, a lot of, a lot of the indigenous villages were seen as supportive of the guerrilla movement, and so to to deal with that, you know, villages got wiped out, people got killed, and people fled. So they came to Mexico, they came across the border, established very simple, you know, uh, sort of camps, refugee camps. And, and I, you know, that happened in the eighties. I really didn't get there. I got there sort of on the tail end of everything, but things were still happening. There were still, you know, problems in the, in the, in the camps with people who now wanted to stay in the camps, but other factions within the camps that wanted to go back. And there were guerrillas too that, you know, came across and tried to convince people to come back um, in the, in the camps. And so there was one camp. I, I, the first time I photographed, I photographed in a camp that was very, very close to the border. Um, and it was sort of happenstance and people were looking, you know, for something a little, they, they realized at that point they were going to be in Mexico for a while. So there was, there was an attempt to look at something a little bit more permanent United Nations uh, was behind them, you know, to look for land. So another camp got established called Nueva Libertad in an area that's called El Colorado. The camp got established and I sort of got there at the very, you know, basically when there was absolutely nothing there, it was open land. And I, I documented basically the establishment of this new new refugee camp that was going to be set up that was set up with the idea that some of the people in this camp, it was being organized to go back to Guatemala, but there were conditions that were set in the return. You know, obviously they wanted land. They didn't want to have to participate, you know, kids, uh, boys in the army. Uh, they wanted protection from not only the government, but from, you know, international agencies conditions and and at one point some people went back they saw with the land that they were going to be given which was you know just sort of untillable un unfarmable you know not not being not able to support a community they came back they decided to stay so like i say within that two-year period i i documented the camp going from you know nothing to uh sticks and thatched roof to, you know, a adobe block health center, uh, wells that got drilled for drinking water. When, when they first got there, the only water was from an irrigation canal. Oh, my God. And people, would, pe people would bathe. People would wash clothes. People would get water out of there. You know, sometimes obviously boiled the water. Mm -hmm. Probably not, not all of it. You know, so there were, you know, incredible gastrointestinal problems at the beginning, uh, but things improved. So I did that. And that that work got got shown also here in Mexico, some and published, you know, somewhat in magazines, but not not a whole lot. I didn't once again do a whole lot with it. I wasn't terribly active with that. I should have been more active. Any, anyways, once again, fast forward about close to uh 2016 
all, you know, over 20 years, almost 25, 26 years. And, and, and I decided I, I wanted to go back and I had not been back to the camp. Uh, and I decided I wanted to go back and take photographs and talk to people and see what the situation was and continue photographing, you know, 25, 26 years later. So I started doing a search to see, was there any information on the camp? And I keep kept bumping up against the name of a Mexican anthropologist, Veronica Ruiz. And she, in fact, had studied and done her thesis in, in, in three different camps, one of them including the place that I had gone to. She was there starting in about 2005, 2006, but did her thesis and did a book on, on this camp. And I, so I immediately, you know, tried to get in touch with her and found her. And she lives in the Coyacan area of Mexico City, which is not too far away. I can walk to her house, you know, within an hour um, and, and got in touch with her and said, can we talk? You know, I'd like to go back. Who do you know that's there? And she said, yes, I have hmm. contact with people. You know, we can we can, you know, get you get you back into the camp. And I said, well, let me let me print some pictures for you and we'll get together. So I, I went to her house and I took a bunch of the you know images that I had. And when I met her, she was like eight months pregnant. She was like ready to have, you know, the baby. She had other things on her mind. Yes. And I said, well, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to go back together. Why don't we? But I would like to go with you. You know, I think it would be great if we could go together after seeing what you've written and, and what you know and who you know and so we waited you know basically once again about five years yeah. and we started we we picked the ball up again uh last year at 2019 and you know went back together in 2000 october of 2019 a little over a year ago and i took a lot of the photographs and we showed people uh, the images and, you know, I mean, some people, it was a matter of looking at these things and seeing photographs of themselves, you know, in the early days of the camp. And a lot of them, you know, broke down crying, seeing these photographs and remembering what it was like, you know, back then. And we did some interviews. We talked to people, we showed photographs and we proposed the idea. This was October and we proposed the idea of March of this year <clears throat> to do like a festival sort of we we titled it you know a festival of of memory and and uh included you know dance and food and storytelling and the photos of mine and so we set it up in march and we did it the first week of march women in the camp were very very important in like oral tradition and that was about all they had. There wasn't a whole lot written other than what Veronica had, had written about the camp. But the women were extremely important in, in the camp. So we made it correspond with March 8th, International Women's Day. Um, and we, we set up this festival. It lasted all day. Um, I showed the photographs after it got dark, you know. And once again, now not everybody in the community was there, but a whole lot of the community was there and showing the photos, you know, with people like, oh, wow, you know, there's there's your cousin, you know, and 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 a photo would come up and people would start laughing, you know, like, 
God, look what they looked like so many years ago, yeah. and things like that. But it was it was pretty it was amazing. It was astounding. You know, there was something extremely, you know, magical. And I don't throw that word around lightly, but it was something, you know, magical. And we put up uh, to see those photographs and we put up we I printed about 30 of them on canvas so that we could put them up on the street. And we did, you know, in various streets of the camp. The camp now, you know, is is not a refugee camp. It is a small town mm-hmm. incorporated incorporated into, you know, the county that it's in, in southern Mexico, in the state of Chiapas. I mean, there's houses that, you know, look like, you know, any, any other small town in southern Mexico. Very, very nice places. People driving pickup trucks. People driving motorcycles. The deal is, is that that generation that established that camp has had kids. And a lot of those kids have migrated also, not to other parts of Mexico, but to the United States. Mm -hmm. So the money that comes back, the remesas that come back, the, 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 the deposits that come back, you know, have gone into houses, have gone into, you know, trucks, TVs, whatever. So the <laughs> whole place has a different look to it. Anyways, there is a professor at uh, SUNY Albany who has a sort of publishing venture within the university, uh, the, the, the Mesoamerican Institute that publishes books you know, on, on Mesoamerica, Latin America, historical, current day. And he, uh, how did, how did I make original contact with him? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but he may have seen some work and got in touch with me and asked about the possibility of a book. And I said, yes, uh, uh, obviously I'm interested, you know, it would have to be with Veronica you know, the anthropologist, and he, you know, was aware of some of her work. And so, you know, we've all hooked up. And that, too, is in the stage of sort of a what I've sent to him and what he will show to, you know, the the editorial board or council is a selection of about 130 photographs of historical from from, you know, the black and white that I shot back in 91 to 93 and then you know color work from october 2019 and march of of this year you know and just as an aside i mean we were there the first week of march uh i got back to mexico city march 10th and basically yeah went into partial lockdown i mean so we were you know just under the wire and given that it was in Chiapas and there's not a whole lot of there's movement from Guatemala, but there's not a whole lot of movement from, you know, at that point from China, from the U.S., from Europe that gets to some tourism gets to Chiapas. But there wasn't a whole lot, obviously, in this in this, you know, ex refugee camp. So we didn't feel too threatened. But like I say, as soon as we got back to Mexico City, it was, you know, sort of full bore. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, get get your mask out and and stay inside. Back to reality. <laughs> yeah, that yes. so that happened that. to us. We we happened to be in New Zealand when all that happened, oh, and we man. got back here and it was like 
another planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Mexico City back in that yeah. time too. And then, and once again, you know, it's landing on the same planet today. You know, the stuff that we're having to do again today. So, anyways, that's those are sort of you know in a nutshell the, wow. the two books. Busy guy. I am right now. I mean, it's been you know, it's, yeah. It's it's not been a challenge or a pl- a problem to stay inside and, and you know work because I have all this stuff that I need to do. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh oh. Well, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. We're doing this on Zoom. You know how that happens. So I lost Keith there briefly. But before we go, I do. I want to ask him one more thing um, about the Eyes on Main Street Festival. He introduced me to it well, two, three, maybe three years ago. Um, it takes place in Wilson, North Carolina. Keith was a artist in residence there for a month, and then he came back and. I know you spoke at least one other time after that. We happened to be passing through Wilson at, or near Wilson at that time. Wanted to come and see you. Couldn't get a hotel to save my life. <laughs> so anyway, so obviously it didn't didn't happen this year the way it normally does. I it's, I think it's really a fascinating project. But why don't you update us on what's going on? Okay, yeah, it it is. It's it's an amazing project on the part of the director. Uh, Jerome de Perlinghi. Uh, he has, you know, worked his butt off, you know, for the last seven or eight years to, to make a reality of Eyes on Main Street. Unfortunately, this year, 2020, it did not happen. But there are you know, and, and, and if your listeners are anywhere within, you know, a thousand miles of Wilson, North Carolina, it's worth taking a trip. There are 100 photographs up on the street in Wilson at this point. They went up about a month ago. You know, some as large as, you know, five, six feet wide. Hmm. Uh, and And so the downtown area right now of Wilson, North Carolina is filled with photographs and it's worth like I say, it's worth a trip uh, to walk around in that. The idea is that there was no, obviously there was no inauguration for that like there normally is in May of every year, uh, complete with workshops that I did, yes, in 2019. I, I didn't do a workshop, but I did a talk. So talks and workshops are part of the festival when it inaugurates, when it, when it opens. Um, but like I say, that did not happen this year. But the idea is that May of next year, 2021, when things will be better, uh, there will be a closing ceremony, much in the same way that the opening has been Mm -hmm. before. So, you know, roundtable discussions, presentations, uh, workshops, you know, during that that uh, week or so of of the opening hopefully in May of 2021. That's, that's the information that I have at this point. Jerome has just come out with a book. So he's also, uh, he's got an exhibition in, in the eyes on main street gallery in, in Wilson, his book on Shanghai, uh, in China that he's been photographing there for, I think it's close to like 30 years. So he's much involved in that. 
so there's, you know, even, you know, obviously not many people traveling, but if things get better and you want to take a trip, you know, Wilson is, is, is a nice place. You can probably get a hotel room these days. Yeah, it <laughs> should be no problem. Yeah, I'm only about three hours away now, so. Yeah. Well, I, should I have no excuse. <laughs> no excuse, especially if the... Uh, if the um, inauguration part is is not going to be the first week in May, that's better for me, actually. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> for personal reasons. So, well, that's great. That's good Good to know about. I know, um, yeah, Jerome is quite a photographer. I've um, been to his website several times. Uh-huh. And he, he's an amazing portrait photographer i notice he's photographed uh -huh. all these big yes. stars yes but this this is the 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 shanghai book is more definitely more street photography oh yeah um, so you know unabashed pitched for pitch for him the book is definitely worth it too if you have you know you can go on to jerome's site and find the book and get it through amazon you know so it's it's a it's a uh, a definitely a worthwhile uh, purchase to add to your photo library if you want to take a look at it. Yeah, I, I definitely. I've been building up my library over these over these quiet months. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, I'm going to check that one out. And once you publish these two, I'll, I'll add them to that library as well. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll come out, but it, you know it may be maybe a couple of years from now. I mean, yeah, I really, yeah. Well, just got to keep you know, at it, I guess. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a slow process. I mean, it would be nice that you know both of them saw would see the light of day this coming year, twenty twenty one. But you know it may not happen so until later. But I th I think both of them will will be out there. You know, available at some point in the future. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that and great. Well, we'll definitely watch for them. And when they are reality, definitely let us know. And we'll be glad to get the word out to our community. Great. That, that would be wonderful too. So Keith, where can people learn more about you and see your work? Where? Yeah, we're on we're online. Well, uh, Unless they call, you know, uh, you can give your address in Mexico too if you want. But <laughs> I, <laughs> stop on by. Um, basically, basically the web page is still probably the best place at this point. You know, www.keithdanamiller.com. Uh, there's there's uh, four or five different portfolios there uh, that you can check out and see what I'm up to and see what I've done in the past. Uh, so that's, I would say that's the best place. Uh, drop me an email if you want. That's kdanamiller1 at mac.com if you want to take a look there. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, I put up stuff on Facebook, not as regularly as I used to, uh, but the Instagram account is uh, a viable uh, place to, to check some things out too. Okay. Well, we'll link to all those in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for your time. Good to catch up with you again. Yeah, Bob. Nice, nice to talk to you.